This week's text is in the book of Romans, in the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 12. And as you are looking that up, I do want to remind you that if you wish to support the ministries here at Henry's Chapel UMC, you may uh, send any donations that you would like to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350. And if you're sending checks, please make them payable to Henry's Chapel, and they will go to support the ministries of Henry's Chapel UMC. And as we jump into Romans in the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 12, let we hear these words. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but do but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of, or of any of another? If it is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced that their own mind, in their own minds. Those who observe the day observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, God, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers or sisters? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning's text is not a very complicated one, and I don't want to muddy the waters any more than I have to and make it more complicated than it needs to be. Because what Paul is looking at is he's giving examples of division within the church in his time. He is saying that people are being divided by what it is that they eat and those that abstain from eating and those that don't. He, he, he's laying out the groundwork of what it is that people are being divided by in his current culture. And so if we were to read this in our current climate, it would say, it would say welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. For some may believe in this or that. For some fall in line with this school of thought. For some believe in the idea of Black Lives Matter, and some fall in line and feel the need to say all lives matter. For some, we look at it and say they are Trump supporters. For some, they may be Biden supporters. And what it's looking at is where is the division line in your congregation? Where is the division line in your life and in your heart that you say, this is me, that is them, those people? And, and, and Paul is not even necessarily casting judgment on who is weaker or greater in faith. What he is saying is that 
we as the people have a tendency to decide that those people that feel that way about that issue, about that particular situation are weaker in faith. And if they just knew Jesus, they wouldn't feel that way. And, and, and when we hear this term of vegetarian, even Paul is probably referring to those Jews who are trying to keep kosher in their current climate. But Paul, while pointing out the dividing lines, and we don't necessarily need to spend all the time pointing out the dividing lines, because as we've talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks, you look on social media, you turn on the television, you see where the lines are drawn. That's not something that's vague in our culture. As a matter of fact, it is something that has become probably far too defined in our culture. This us versus them mentality. This, this mentality of the haves and the have-nots or the rights versus the lefts or the Republicans versus Democrats, whatever you want to say, but the dividing line of them and they, us and them, is very, very distinct in our, in our culture. And what Paul is focusing on is the continuity of the community. He's saying, yes, there can be disagreements, but disagreements should not destroy the community. And so often in our current culture, what we see is that a disagreement is that thing that absolutely destroys community. I'm not going back because they said this or they believe that about a certain issue. But what Paul is calling us to, and I believe what Jesus created us for, is to live in a diverse community, not judging others, not forcing our ideas upon others, but to live in diversity. Which raises the question, are we willing to remain at the table with those that are seeking to deny us a seat, or with those that eat different meals than us, or with those that we may not feel necessarily welcomed with? Because I think when we hear that language of we're not called to judge others, we automatically go, but what if they're wrong? But what if, what if what they're saying is terrible and they need to be judged? I need to force my ideas upon them so that they know better. I'm recalled of when I went to seminary. And in the seminary I went to, um, I grew up in a very uniform culture white middle-class Mississippi, if you will. And everybody, for the most part, looked the same, thought the same, talked the same, voted the same. And if they didn't, well, um, I guess me and my family, we just didn't associate with them. And that's not to say anything negative against my family. That's just to say that the people in which that were in my life were very much homogenous. For better or for worse, homogenous. And so um, I decided that I was going to go to college and I went to Southern Miss and that didn't work out for a variety of reasons that I've shared in the past. Um, but I came back home and I ended up going to Jackson State and people often ask me why. And the reality is I wish I could say it was some profound reason, but the reason I ended up at Jackson State was because the money was right. 
Um, and I knew that I was going to go to seminary. And so I ultimately, I was just trying to get the easiest, cheapest, fastest college degree I could get so that I could go to seminary and get my master's. And so I graduated from Jackson State and I loved my time at Jackson State for a reason different than what I thought I would. And, and the reason was is because I started to, and I'm not going to say that I completely understand, but I started to catch a glimpse of what it meant to be the different, the marginalized, the minority in a culture. To get those strange looks when you walk into class or into the bookstore because you're just different. Um, and so when I was selecting seminaries, um, I, I started looking around and, and I enrolled in one and I enrolled in it because it was close to home and I enrolled in it because my father had attended there, but I enrolled in Memphis Theological Seminary. And what I started to realize in my first semester there was that I made friends with people that were homogenous to me. The things I'd learned at Jackson State did not hold because I found myself clinging to the people that grew up in Mississippi, that grew up in middle-class white America, that believed in, and would worship in the same vein that I did. But ultimately, it took about a semester for me to realize something. That there were professors and students and classmates of mine at Memphis Theological Seminary that were different than me. They were different in the way they believed, in the way they worshiped, in the way they thought, in the way they grew up. They were different. And I wish I could say that everybody I started seminary with stuck it out, but there were some that because of that, those differences felt the need to leave Memphis Theological to go somewhere that affirmed what it was that they thought, believed, and worshiped about their God, which I don't fault them for, but I, want, I do want to say that I stuck around because I realized something. And the fact was that as we engaged in conversation in seminary, the diverse beliefs and thoughts began to challenge me in a way that I had not been challenged before. And what I meant by that was I took a step back and realized that what if everything I believe is wrong? And then what I did is I literally tore it down to the foundation of I worship God, not, a God, not one of many gods, but the God who is loving. And that's all I had. And then we started discussions in different classes and such and taking seats with one another, not judging each other on, their, on our beliefs, but willing to engage and listen in conversation about where it is and what we believe. And I believe walking away from those conversations, my faith is and was stronger than it had ever been. Because it was no longer a faith that was grown out of homogeny, but a great faith that had been grown and tested by the fires of difference and by the, by the different opinions that may, may push and press on you. And you go, well, I don't know about that, but I do know about this. And so this idea of sitting not in judgment, not forcing my ideas, but willing to listen and being willing to remain at the table even when I may not have felt welcomed made all the difference in my faith. But the reason in which that was able to be possible is this difference that I want us to hear uh, that Paul kind of addresses, and it's a razor thin, but it's a very important nuance of faith, because what Paul says is that, there is, is that we 
are not to be defined by sin, nor are we to define others by sin. And we hear that and we go, well, duh, because Jesus has saved us from sin. And we hear that and it sounds very, very basic. But how often do we define others by what we are against? How often do we define others by the sin that they have committed? Oh, well, there, insert sin here. They have da-da-da-da-da. And, and I will say that a lot of times in our current culture, it does seem that communities increasingly define themselves not by what they are for, but by what they are against. And, and, and what Paul is warning us against in our text is to not do so. Because what he's warning us against is this idea that judgment is cloaked in self-righteousness. We judge others by the sins that they made or we think they made. And it's, and it's just a very short hop, skip, and jump to defining them by that sin. And defining them and saying that's who they are. So they're beyond redemption because they are their sin. And instead, and we, as we do that, we start to define them by their sin instead of the image of God. And so all we see within them is sin and that they are beyond redemption and that they are beyond love and that they are beyond grace because they are this quote-unquote sin that we have defined them as. And that judgment, that type of judgment reflects on us as we define ourselves in the opposition to that sin. And when we define others by their sin and fail to see them as the beloved child of God, we can easily justify any judgment or action against the other because they are no longer a sibling. They are no longer a member of the beloved community. They are no longer a part of us, but they have been relegated to the them. You see, what happens is as we start to recognize or as we start to define them as their sin, then they are no longer a brother and sister in Christ, but they are those people. And so then we begin to cast judgment and dispersion on them because they're not a part of our family. They're not welcome at our table. But our identity is not based on any particular political, economical, moral issue. Our identity is called to be grounded in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And my brothers and my sisters in the Christian faith I'm going to be real honest because I've fallen into the trap as well that so often when we look at social media, when we look at the way we are interacting with one another, whether it's due to mask or Black Lives Matter or economic issues or political issues or whatever the issue may be, so often the way in which we interact is interacting out of judgment and not love and grace. So often we begin to define people by the things that we view as wrong or sin in them and not by as they are children of God redeemed by God's grace and love. And as we define them and define them as the other, we continually begin to act out of a way that is not love and grace, but a way that is hate and judge and cast them and push them away from the table. And then we have the gall to ask, 
why don't they come to church? They need to experience Jesus Christ. And why would they, when all we as the church have told people that are different, that think different, that act different, that vote different than us, is that they're not welcome at our table? Why would they come? But if we lose sight and deny that love and grace to others, even those that deny it to us, now don't mishear me. I know some of you are going, well, they do it to me, and not that we're not even going to get into the action of how childish that sounds. Well, they did it first. But we have, if we begin to act in a way that denies love and grace of Jesus Christ, then we have truly lost our way as Christians. And I know some of us are sitting here going, but they need to be held accountable. Sin must be confronted and addressed. And I agree, but holding someone accountable for the words and actions is different than judging who they are as a person. Because we are all one in Christ. Scripture teaches us that, that we are all created in the image of God. And we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The love and grace of God incarnate in Jesus Christ refuses to allow us to be defined by our sin. You see, we're all sinners. But God's love and grace and mercy says, you're not named by your sin, but you are named as a co-heir redeemed by my grace. And we can continually affirm, you are welcome at this table. You are are welcome here. We may not agree on everything, but you're, you're welcome at the table because we are all searching and all figuring it out on this journey. We are all trying to figure out what it means to serve God more fully. And we can only do that first off if we're willing to hear the other, if we're willing to challenge the fact that we may be wrong. But secondly, if we're not judging others by and labeling them by their sin, but labeling them as redeemed by God's grace and as a brother and sister in Christ, welcoming them to the table, engaging in fruitful conversations. This idea that we so often hear as Christians, is this idea that we're called to love the sinner but hate the sin. And the difference is confusing. Sin with who someone is created to be. So often we hear this idea, but what happens is we say, well, let's love the sinner and hate the sin. But what happens is, as we've talked about, we begin to label people by their sin, and so we can't We can't disconnect the two. And so what ends up happening is, yeah, we hate the sin, but because we hate the sin, we also find ourselves hating the sinner. And and the reason is, is because it's very difficult for humans because to a certain extent, our actions do define us. And, And at the core, but at the core, at the very core of our being, we are called to be children of God created in God's image. And that's what we have to hold tight to, not to define persons by their image, but to define them, to allow them to rather to be defined by God who says, you are my child. That does not mean agreeing with everything that they do, but it does mean that we view them as children of God, not living in judgment. and, And furthermore, I mean, yes, we can hold each other accountable and have honest and real conversations 
Uh, but furthermore, God calls us to love and pray for our enemies and those who hate and persecute us. And I'm, I'm well aware, and I want to put this out there, that I'm well aware that as a white heterosexual male who has not been oppressed, marginalized, or told he was unloved, unsaved, or a sinner because of who God created me to be, I'm well aware that it's easier for me to say that. I'm aware of this privilege that I have, that I've never been judged because of the color of my skin or because of who, of how I act or because of my gender or whatever. But I still believe that God is calling us to hold one another accountable for sinful words and actions while affirming our oneness as children, wonderfully, beautifully, and diversely made in God's image. My challenge for you this week is to open up a seat at the table, not begrudgingly, not in any other way except for the fact that we begin to view each other and understand each other as children of God, and to engage in conversation as real humans, to act out of love and grace and mercy in this world that is calling us to view the lines of division and act out of hate, judgment, and fear. Let us act in love, grace, and mercy and open a seat at the table to those that are the different. Amen and amen.